Blog Talk Radio. The Franciscan Friars of the Atonement present the Ave Maria Hour. Hello, this is Father Bob Warren of the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. Thank you for listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour radio show. The Friars' popular Ave Maria Hour was first brought to the radio airwaves in 1939, recorded in New York City and on the mountainside grounds at Graymoor, a home in Garrison, New York. These timeless classic stories of the Bible and the lives of the saints came to life each week through dramatic reenactment by professional actors and actresses. You know, friends, Christ once said, do not hide your treasure under a bushel. In saying this, he meant share your gifts, share your talents. The Friars of the Atonement feel the message in these broadcasts remains as powerful and timely as when they were originally aired, and we are so happy to be able to share them with you today. To learn more about the missions and ministries of the Friars of the Atonement, I invite you to visit our website, www.atonementfriars.org. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour. St. Caspar del Bufalo. On that fateful day, June 10th, 1809, General Miolis, acting on Napoleon's orders, marched his troops to the castle of St. Angelo. He lowered the pontifical standard and replaced it with the tricolor of France. In a short time, the news spread throughout Rome, and Caspar del Bufalo, newly ordained priest, burst into Father Alphonsus' room. Father, what are they doing? What does it mean? That the French, or rather Napoleon, has decided to annex the states of the church and make them part of the French Empire. But by what right? Caspar, while you were in the seminary, you had no opportunity to know what was going on outside its walls. A crafty and powerful enemy has arisen against the church. Napoleon. But, Father, I was given to understand that Napoleon restored the Catholic religion to France. Ah, because it suited his ambition. Realizing the church has tremendous unifying influence in a nation, he wanted it back in France, but with one vital difference. What was that? That he control it. But surely he knew the Holy Father would never consent to any such... Caspar, Napoleon does not ask consent of anyone. He issues orders and decrees and others are expected to obey. Still, the Holy Father journeyed to Paris to crown him emperor. The invitation was more in the nature of a command. It was delivered not by two bishops, as was to be expected but by a French general. His holiness, against the advice of many, but in the interest of peace, agreed to go to Paris. Don't forget, when the illustrious Charlemagne was crowned emperor, he made the journey to Rome. There has been a rumor that Napoleon was disrespectful to his holiness. Do you think that was true? Yes, deliberately so. 
He arrived late at the cathedral. Instead of kneeling to receive the crown, he seized it from the Pope's hands and placed it on his head. Then he crowned the Empress. What will happen now in Rome? A bull of excommunication His Holiness has long held in abeyance will no doubt be issued. When that happens, there is no telling what Napoleon will do. Father Alphonsus advised Caspar to go about his duties and await developments. They were not long in coming. Despite the efforts of Miola's guards to prevent it, Rome was placarded with the bull of excommunication. Napoleon retaliated by ordering the Pope arrested. At three o'clock in the morning, a general of gendarmerie entered the Pope's residence, gave him two hours to make his preparations, then took him from Rome to Savona. The decrees regarding the clergy were quickly put into effect. Father, have you heard anything? Nothing definite, though the air swarms with rumors. Any news of His Holiness? We're told the carriage in which he was driven from Rome crossed the French border a week ago. It's assumed His Holiness was in it and is a prisoner somewhere in France. But surely Napoleon knows that those of us who remain will carry out the work of the church? I can assure you Napoleon is well aware of that fact and will enact repressive measures, as he did in France. Some of the French priests who lived through the Revolution have told us about the terror of those years. Is it possible such things could happen in Italy? My son... I do not know what is going to happen to us, but be prepared for any sacrifice for your church, even your life. Father Alphonsus told Caspar to tell the other priests of impending danger. But as Caspar left the house, he was picked up by two soldiers who took him to the general's headquarters. You will leave Rome by nightfall and be out of Italy within the week. If you fail to leave and you're caught practicing your priestly office, you will be executed. You may go. Next. Your name? Caspar del Bufalo. Your age? 23. Sit down. Thank you. Uh, You're young. You're not long a priest. Less than a year. Well, then there's some hope for you. I don't understand. Now, take that old priest I just sent out. He won't change. So he has to be exiled. But you're young, apparently intelligent, and just starting your career. Napoleon has need of bright young priests who can read the handwriting on the wall and can adapt themselves to changing conditions. I wish only to be a priest. If in that office I can be of service to the emperor, I'll be glad to do so. I assume you would like to remain in Rome. Yes, indeed. That's easily arranged. It wasn't easily arranged for His Holiness. The Pope is not only stubborn, but short-sighted. It's rumored the French have made him prisoner and taken him to Paris. I've no idea where he is, but there's no need of concern over his safety. You may be sure Napoleon will protect him from all harm. But to get back to you, uh, you do wish to stay in Rome? Yes. Very well. All you have to do is sign this paper. What is it? Merely an oath of allegiance to the constitutional government of France. But I'm not a Frenchman. My allegiance is to the Holy See. The states of the church have been annexed to the French Empire. From now on, Napoleon is the supreme authority here. If I were to sign this paper, what would be expected of me? Well, you would uh, 
Go about your duties as usual, administering the sacraments, doing your works of charity and whatever else you're accustomed to doing. And here's an important consideration. You would be paid by the French state. And one must be loyal to the man who pays him? Naturally. And if there's a conflict of loyalties between the Pope and Napoleon, whom do I obey? Now, you don't need to worry on that score. The Pope and the Emperor will sit down and settle all their differences between them. Except that in this conference, a prisoner will not be on equal terms with the jailer. Let's not get sidetracked. It's not our concern what the Pope and the Emperor agree on. The important thing is that you and I reach an agreement. I don't see how that's possible. Why? How can you expect a priest to sign an oath of allegiance to the French Emperor who is under excommunication? Oh, that. It was foolish of the Pope to execute it. It shows that he's little aware of the vast changes that have taken place in Europe since the Revolution. The power of the Church has been broken. The Pope no longer exercises the authority he once had. The Emperor is now the supreme ruler of Europe. By what right? By the force of his army. His victories overall on the field of battle. Yet he evidently still fears the power of the Pope, who has no army, and is now his prisoner. Come, I didn't call you in for a religious discussion. Let's settle this now. You have your choice of signing this or going into exile. Perhaps never to return. Now, since you're young, I'll give you an hour to think things over. It'll not be needed. I choose exile. Thus, Caspar took his place alongside hundreds of other priests who refused the oath and went into exile to Spain and other friendly countries. After the defeat of Napoleon, Caspar returned to Rome. He found a wide scope for work, for the cities of Italy had been almost entirely without priests and without sacraments for five years. Caspar labored as if he were ten priests. I baptize thee in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. De inde ego te absolvo a peccatus tuus, in nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. I join you together in marriage, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Though many rejoiced at the priest's return and hastened to receive the sacraments, there were many who had turned from the church. The troops that occupied Italy had spread the revolutionary doctrines of skepticism and atheism. But the individual was his own best judge of what was right and what was wrong. From such a philosophy was drawn the convenient conclusion that the individual could be his own confessor and judge. The result was that moral and religious anarchy was widespread in Italy. In 1814, Caspar went to Father Alphonsus with an idea. When I returned to Rome and saw what had happened under Napoleon's rule, I was heartsick. There was so much to do, it was overwhelming. 
I came to Jarno to conduct a mission. I remain because I have a project I wish to carry out. What is this project? To form a congregation of secular priests whose principal aim is to give missions and retreats. We certainly need more priests to work in the villages and towns if we ought to combat the appalling crime and lack of religious fervor in the lives of our people. What rule would you follow? There will be no particular rule. The members would take no vows but would live in a community. The only promise would be one of fidelity to the community. I'm not sure you could build a congregation without a more rigid discipline. I hope to hold them together by the bond of a devotion to the most precious blood. A congregation of the most precious blood. Where did you get the inspiration? As I knelt before the crucifix, the words of St. John Chrysostom came to me. It was therefore out of the side of Christ that the church was built. Just as out of the side of Adam that Eve was raised up to be his bride... For even as God made the woman out of the side of man, so Christ gave to us the water and blood from his own side, whence was the church raised up. And now, Father Alphonsus, Christ's church has been wounded by desertion and attack, but again will find her strength by devotion to the blood of Christ. You have my permission to go ahead. What do you need? For the moment, all I need is a house for meetings. You shall have one. As soon as possible, I'll petition the Pope for approval of the congregation. Pope was well aware of the need for missions and retreats and formally approved the new congregation within a year after Kaspar had established his house in Jarno. Then there was a second foundation and a third in 1819. It was Kaspar's wish to have a house preferably in the most neglected and wicked town or district of each diocese. In 1821, he received an important letter. Why? It's the handwriting of the Pope himself. Read it, Father. The kingdom of Naples during our absence has become a nest of crime of every kind, and no one's life or property is safe. Will you therefore immediately undertake the foundation of no less than six houses of the congregation of the most precious blood in that district? Ah, Caspar, you'll be leaving us. I packed when the letter came. I call to tell you goodbye. I leave within the hour. On his arrival in the kingdom of Naples, Caspar found conditions worse than mentioned by the Pope. Aside from the deplorable situation in the cities... The hills and forests were infested with the banditti who robbed and killed unprotected travelers. Caspar set about to gather the men and the money for his work. He met with endless difficulties, but by degrees he succeeded. Then a blow from a most unexpected quarter struck him. Father, this letter has just come from Rome. It's plain to see it's bad news. The new pope is unfavorable to the congregation. I can't understand it when Pius VII was heartily in accord with our organization. Pope Leo has not been in office long, and it's quite possible he's been misinformed about what you're trying to do. He also objects to the name of the congregation. He says it's a novelty. 
devotion to the precious blood a novelty? Oh, now I'm sure His Holiness has been misinformed. Still, if he disapproves, we'll have to disband the congregation. Caspar, every time you overcame one difficulty, you met with another. Perhaps this will be the last. But then I was begging the rich for money, winning men who would devote themselves to missions. But now it's the Holy Father himself I have to overcome. You won others to your cause. Why not the Pope? But he's the Pope. But before he was Pope, he was Cardinal, and before that, a priest. Go to Rome. Tell him what you're trying to do. He'll listen. And if you talk to him as you have to others, well, who knows, you might change his views. Will you come with me? If you wish. Your Holiness, when I returned from exile and saw the evil the French had left, I started my mission at Jarno. His Holiness Pius VII not only approved of the congregation I wanted to found, but in 1821 he wrote me directly and requested that I found six houses in the kingdom of Naples. You, uh, you have this letter? Yes, I have it here. Hmm. Our aim is to go to the people direct, from city to city, to villages and like the missionaries sent out by Christ, preach the gospel and win back those who have left us and convert those who are ignorant of the faith. I'm uh, somewhat concerned regarding the name you call your congregation. It strikes me as too novel. May I leave the justification of the name to one who is more learned than I and was the first to whom I mentioned it? Your Holiness, the... Veneration of the precious blood is as old as Christianity. Jesus ascribes to it the same life-giving power that belongs to his flesh. Several of the apostles regarded it as synonymous with Jesus' passion and death, the source of redemption. To which apostles do you refer? St. Peter, St. John, and St. Paul. St. Peter said, you know you were redeemed from the vain manner of life handed down from your fathers, not with perishable things, with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish. Well, here, as you see, there is the specific reference to the precious blood. I note it. Proceed. St. John said, But if we walk in the light, as he also is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us of all sin. And what is your reference to St. Paul? There are several definite statements. I quote from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the remission of sins according to the richness of his grace. I can go on with citations from Romans, from Hebrews, and from the church fathers. St. John Chrysostom, for instance, who said... The church was raised up from the water and blood Christ gave to us from his own side. Father, you have made your point. I remove my objections to the name of the congregation. Uh, Father Caspar. Yes, Your Holiness. You may return to Naples and with my blessing continue the work you have started. In 1824, the houses of the congregation were open to young clergy who wished to be trained specially as missioners. In his address to the congregation, Caspar told of their goal, and at the same time revealed the shining facets of his character. 
Our aim? To evangelize the whole world. Therefore, you must know foreign languages as well as theology and holy scripture. I shall ask of you devotion to our cause and hard work, but I shall never ask of anyone that which I myself would not undertake. A missioner is like a soldier. He must be ready to march on a moment's notice, to go anywhere. He must never give in. And should the time come, never hesitate to die for our Lord. Journeying from town to town, enduring endless hardships, threatened often even with death, they preached their message. Kaspar, their founder, always took the most arduous work on himself. Father Kaspar, I'm so tired I can't move. If it's so sweet to tire ourselves for God, what will it be to enjoy him? Oh, Father, I can't go on. We're both bruised from head to foot from the stones they throw. We preached to them three days, and they're as hostile as the day we arrived. Still, it seemed to me they were fewer stones than yesterday. Let's leave them and try some other town where we'll be more welcome. No, we must stay. But they show no desire to be saved. If there were only some sign that we were reaching them, that either they mock us or stand in sullen indifference. There was a sign today. Several. I saw nothing except hostility. An old couple stood at the edge of the crowd. The woman's lips were moving, and her fingers moved as if she were touching the rosary she was afraid to show. A child picked up a stone to hurl at us, and I saw an old man seize his arm. When that stone drew blood from my cheek, I saw a young woman quickly cross herself, then look about to see if anyone had noticed her. A woman crosses herself, another says the rosary. A small reward for three days of insults and bruises. Tomorrow will be different. In what way? They will listen, at least, before they start throwing stones. What makes you think that? Tomorrow we shall get up early. We shall gather up all the loose stones in the public piazza and put them in one pile. Father, are you serious? Quite. Very well. But I do think people who throw stones at us should at least hunt them for themselves. A number of you have come with nothing to throw. Now, if you will go to Father Andrew, he will hand you a stone. Please step up. For this morning, it's rather important that each person here has a stone. What's the answer? He's crazy. You wonder why I do this. I'm sure you'll agree. When everybody wants to throw stones at us, it's a mark of respect to let your leaders throw the first stone. And that's the most deserving of respect should be permitted to throw the very first stone. Yeah, he's right. Now, I don't know you individually, but I do have a suggestion as to who shall throw the very first stone. Let it be the man who is without sin, without blemish. Let that man who has never struck his wife or lied or stolen or cursed God or has shown greed to his neighbor. I say let him stand forth and hurl the first stone. 
Come. Father Andrew and I wait. Isn't there a single person in all this crowd who feels worthy of hurling the first stone? No, Father. There isn't. Why do you say that, Father Andrew? Because if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we acknowledge our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all iniquity. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Come, come, have no fear. Look into your souls, and if you find no sin, don't be afraid to throw your stone. But if you do find sin, don't be afraid to confess. Please, those who have no stone, step forward and take one from the pile. Bless me, Father. Bless me, Father. Saint Caspar preached his last mission in Rome during the cholera outbreak of 1836. Feeling his strength failing, he made his preparation for death. He suffered terribly from cold and at night from parching thirst. But he would not take anything to drink so that he might be able to celebrate Mass. He received the last sacraments on December 28th and died the same day. He was canonized in 1954. listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour, brought to you by the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. For over 110 years, the Friars have devoted themselves to fulfilling St. Francis' prayer, to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. We work for Christian unity and interreligious understanding. We provide respite at our retreat center at Greymoor for those in need of spiritual renewal. We staff parishes throughout the world, serve as chaplains for colleges, hospitals, and prisons. We care for the ill through hospice work, ministry to those with HIV AIDS. We also shelter the homeless and provide treatment and services for those suffering from alcoholism and drug addiction. If you would like to be included in our prayer list, participate in special St. Anthony Novenas, and or visit St. Anthony Shrine, Graymore. Attend a retreat, learn more about our Ave Maria Hour productions, or simply make a donation to assist us in fulfilling St. Francis' prayer to help those in need. Please visit our website at atonementfriars.org or email me at avemaria at atonementfriars.org. You can write to me, Father Bob, Friars of the Atonement, Graymore. Post Office Box 300, Garrison, New York, 10524. And so, in closing, I ask for the blessing of God upon you and those you love. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he look upon you with kindness and give you his peace. Amen.